Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky's a little too excited over here. <laughs> it is the first time I have danced all the way through the intro because today is the day I've been waiting for for 117 episodes. <laughs> and I still want to back out of doing this. Can I do that? Oh my gosh. John's like humility and neuroses is on full display right now as he does not want to talk about himself. And naturally talking about John is one of my favorite things in the entire world, as is like laughing at John being uncomfortable. So this is like the greatest day ever for me. I'm so excited. And who does not love John? I honestly don't know a person in the last 16 years since I've known John who does not like John. And so anyone who's tuning in right now, you're not going to get a ton of professional development and training out of our conversation today because core value number three is simplify, humanize, and tell a good story. And I am just here to tell you that there is no one more human and there is no one who has a better story than Jonathan McCoy. Cut it out, Becky. This I'm, is already getting awkward. But I know. Oh my gosh, I'm loving it in your uh, in your face, and the discomfort of it is bringing me immense joy. I don't know what that says but about. Why me. are we even doing this? I okay. mean, let's set the tone because this is not just like the Becky and John show. That was like the furthest thing from what we wanted to launch oh my with gosh. this podcast. We're like mortified. I mean, even yeah. as marketers, I'm just here to. I will confess something here in this mm. confessional. Having our faces as the logo for this podcast is so. <laughs> It's just antithetical to who we are, but as marketers, we know that a face is going to connect with someone more than text. And so we're out front and it pains us a lot of times, but it doesn't pain me at all today because you're in the spotlight, my friend, (laughs) and I am sitting here with the controllers in my hand. You have no idea the questions I've come up with. That's awesome. And I, I think people are just curious about who we are, our story, um, why we say the things we do on the podcast, why we think the way that we do. And, you know, this is your cognitive diversity session right here. You're about to come in through the lens of Jonathan McCoy today and just learn about John and learn what makes him tick and learn why he is the kindest, most gentle human being with the hugest dreams of anyone I've ever met in my life. I want you to tell us just very briefly, tell us about little Johnny Mac growing up, leading you to the space today and hit some high points that are pretty fun. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. We're so glad that you're here. Thanks for making the time. (laughs) Well, you know, I grew up in small town, Oklahoma. I was born in Louisiana, but I don't really remember that few years there. I was a pastor's kid. So Brad and Debbie were my mom and dad. They're amazing people, amazing humans. Mm. And so just kind of grew up as part of the local church there. And just, it was, it was very much intertwined with our life, you know, so service and just being around people and being in community was just always been part of the DNA of growing up. And I have an older brother who Jamie, who now lives just about an hour and a half away. Um, and I think my whole life, you know, Jamie was always like Mr. Achiever always did, 
you know, all the sports was the brainiac. And I've always been like this artist kind of just like paving my own path. Didn't want to play sports, wanted to pick the grass, you know, in the outfield. I'm sorry. I make fun of your lack of sports knowledge. <laughs> You're such a good sport about it. No, it's Being, great. I love picking pun. the grass, you know, like just examining <laughs> right the grass. Field. And, and, yeah. <laughs> But, um, you were not at shortstop is what you're telling me. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, I mean, I feel like that was part of my childhood it was just, just kind of, you know, carving this different path. That's very different from rural Oklahoma life. Um, and so grew up in Duncan and then went off to Oklahoma state university where I met my wife. I kind of just met friends that didn't look like me, people that, you know, had different life experiences and my world just started to like expand and grow. And in that first couple of years, I had the chance to go overseas for the first time. And I think that is a distinct point in my life when I feel like everything changed. Like I would say that my worldview got completely flipped upside down in the best way, you know, realizing that there is so many wonderful, amazing people that have completely different life stories than us. And I've just been so intrigued by that since then. And I think that there's so much misconception here, especially growing up in America of just who are the other people that we don't feel like we're in this together. And I've just never felt like that. I feel like very connected to people wherever we meet them throughout, you know, the world, wherever it may be. And so, you know, that was just kind of my time in college. I did followed my passion for art and did graphic design and just was trying to figure out what I would do next. At the same time, I met my wife, ironically, on a volleyball court, which is hilarious. How is that even possible that that happened? I know I had Were you like, there to cheer on people. <laughs> I had hair to my shoulders. Picture this. I'm barefoot. Of course, of course you were a barefooter in college. I'm so glad that I was not a the full episode. I was not barefooter. I had friends that were barefoot, but this particular night I was barefoot with long hair playing volleyball. And so when I met Candace, she had a real similar, you know, interest and heart for going overseas. And she had spent a short term time in Thailand. I had spent a short term term in Thailand. And it's just like this like connection point for us. And so we had been volunteering with a ministry in college. And so as we were getting both of our degrees, we started to look at like what's next. And I knew I wanted to like do something with design because I loved art ever since I was a little tiny kid, which I left out. I mean, my first present I remember was getting an easel, you know, which I mean, it's like I've been an artist since as small as I remember, but I wanted to do something with my design degree. But at the same time, I knew we wanted to go overseas and just kind of get out of, you know, the bubble that we were in. And so that's kind of where all of our stories start to mash up. I mean, that's when, you know, we got married and I actually walked into the OSU foundation and met Becky Endicott. Oh, can I take it from here? Sure. Okay. I'm going to set the scene for everybody. So I am 25 years old. Um, don't know what I'm doing. Uh, that's the confession time as well. Um, <laughs> I'm leading a marketing department at a major universities foundation and, I'm just, you know, winging it and f- trying to figure out what what we need to do to kind of tell these stories of philanthropy. And we decide we really need a graphic design intern. And so I don't I, I guess we had a graphic designer at the time and we put up a flyer. Um, tell me was, what you thought about the flyer, John. <laughs> I can still see the flyer. Truly, it was eight and a half by eleven with the centered logo in Times New Roman, like <laughs> this most aghast. Devoid of <laughs> like, design. No, but I remember feeling like empathetic, like seeing it and think I could go help them. 
Like oh I remember thinking that at the art center, I was like, you know, this would be a good place. I mean, I could at least help them make a new flyer to find somebody better than me. I mean, he just knocked our socks off and we hired many graphic design interns over the years and no one ever rose to the level of John, but also John made us laugh in the interview, which knowing him now, it's like, well, of course he did. He kept it light. He kept it heartfelt. And that was the beginning of our little journey together. So thanks for being my intern. Thanks for thinking I had it together. I was pasting pieces of cardstock together to make it look like I had a business card the night before that interview because I was so intimidated and scared. Oh my gosh. If you only knew we were a bunch of 20 year olds just trying to work stuff out. So, okay. So we've had incredible journeys in philanthropy. We are very much the philanthropy and marketing purist. And you have this deep love for entrepreneurship. And I want you to talk about that because I do not share that with you. (laughs) Um, Because you are innately curious. You are a lifelong learner. You always want to be thinking about how to innovate something, how to, and and I want to improve everything, but I think I, I am more the heart, you're more the head. And so I would just love to know where this passion for entrepreneurship comes in and how you threaded it into this company. Sure. I mean, entrepreneurship has always just been in my blood. Um, I joke about this now, but it really happened that, you know, I was probably 10 or 12 and they were running like an infomercial on TV that you could buy a bubblegum machine to put in a public place. I'm so glad you're telling this story. And you could like make a payment plan to this company to buy a gum machine. And I went on just this mission to get my parents to say yes to this, that we could buy a gum machine and put it at the mall. (laughs) Duncan Mall. Which is a joke, by the way. But they said no. I mean, they were like, no, we're not, we like are not going to let you do that. And I still, I guess, sorry, mom and dad still kind of hold that against y'all a little bit because (laughs) I just, I saw the vision of it. I was like, Hey, this could be huge. I could see us selling gum for days, you know, maybe they were just saying no. So you would dream bigger, not in penny candy. Maybe it was big. I don't really hold it against them because now hindsight, I'm like, man, with our kids upstairs, I can imagine how many gum machines we'd have across the city now, but (laughs) I just say that like, I've always just been interested in, you know, kind of having my hands in different pots and being part of different things. And so being a graphic designer just sets you up to do that too, because you could always take on freelance clients and whatnot. And I think before I even knew what the business model of it was, I just liked the idea of serving different organizations and getting to be part of that story. And so that's kind of how it started. I mean, I think the first logo I did was for a wine bar for our dear friend. Oh, that was a great logo. We were living overseas. I did it, you know, remotely digital nomad life like 20 years ago. And from there, it just led to contact after contact, just kind of growing a base of different design clients. But I think as like I've grown up, you know, Candace and I always just wanted to do something kind of unique on the side. And this is where another point where you and I story collides is that um, we had had our first set of twins and I don't know how much we want to go into this. But oh, we had, I was going to ask you, this is the okay. elephant in the room. Whenever anybody asks John to share something unique about him, this is it. So go ahead. Yeah. I mean, so when we moved to Oklahoma city to join the healthcare foundation here, Candace and I had been married a few years and we were really subscribed to this like five-year plan. We're going to be married for five years, get a house, get the job, kind of like the typical dream. And we started to try to have kids and it just wasn't working. And so um, amazingly, the philanthropy we worked for had this benefit that you could go and get fertility, you know, treatments for ridiculous um, off through our insurance. And then it was this huge opportunity. So we at least went to that meeting and we went to the meeting. We just ran a marathon. We were like, we felt so healthy, you know, we were so young 
but to sit in that room with the doctor who's so smart, so brilliant, runs these tests and looks at us in the eyes and says, Hey, I can't really explain it, but you guys are probably not going to have biological children. And if, if you are going to have it, it's going to be through IVF and you need to take action now. And there's a class that's tonight. Like I would encourage you to go tonight and get started on the process if you're interested. And like, it just felt like a ton of bricks that day because it's always somebody else's story. You know, it's my whole life or whatever. And my, even my brother was part of his story. And I just think it never, my story. Yeah. You true your story. You just never think it's going to be you. And then you kind of find yourself in the middle of it, sitting in a class at a hospital, learning about why you can't have kids, you know, and you're just like, man, you can cut the hope with a knife, you know, it's just so thick in that room. Yeah. Totally. So, I mean, I, I can't describe that experience other, any other way than to just say it's still a complete miracle that we have our babies, our kiddos. Now it's a complete miracle and it's completely just unbelievable how it happened. Even though you are kind of trying to control what you can control, it's still so much out of our control, you know? And so, um, I just think that that experience really shaped a lot of us, especially in the last decade of our life. So we had our first set of twins, (laughs) from our first IVF. And I remember thinking and going and talking to our doctor and saying, we love our twins. You know, they're the most magical, wonderful boy, girl. So easy. They really are. But we would love to have another child and just kind of talking that through, but I'm scared to death of having twins. And I remember him reaching across the table and being like, it won't happen. It's never happened. I remember this conversation (laughs) vividly. So when you fast forward a few weeks later and sitting in that ultrasound room, holding the twins on my lap. Candace is laying down there doing the ultrasound and our nurse just starts crying and laughing. And I'm like, I said, Nancy, what's going on? And she said, I see two heartbeats. And I thought I saw three. And, um, the elevator ride down that day was so quiet <laughs> because we knew what the weight of that was going to be. But, you know, we're so thankful that all of our kids have been really healthy. They came really young and they've been small, but they are so healthy to this day. So we've got, you know, two eight-year-olds and two new six-year-olds that are just the loves of our life and been such a part of our story. Such a part of your story. I mean, everything about John and Candace is threaded through these little humans and they're just extraordinary. And I love that they fostered this kind of wonderless that you had to do something bigger in the retail space. So I want you to tell the story of Love Well. Okay, yeah. So when we had just had our first set, you know, really not knowing what was going to be next. I had this passion for design. Candace had always been sewing and kind of learning things from her mom and grandma growing up. And so we're like, I'd heard about this company that allows you to print your own fabric. And we we're like, what would, why don't we like make some clothes? Like, this would be so fun. I could design some fabrics. You could sew some things up. We could make some leggings. And that's what we did. We made some little leggings. They're kind of like local theme, like Oklahoma, oh you know, when so that was trendy. really a huge trend. And I remember wearing them, you know, out and about and a little bit and people started asking about them. And at the same time, we were like, you know, we'd love to do something that was like a family kind of business that had this like giving back component that we could bring our kids along in the process. And just this kind of idea started to form. And at the same time, we had a friend that was doing PR for this big craft show that was happening in Tulsa. And she's like, Hey, I saw y'all have started making this stuff. Would you be interested in putting together a booth? Like I would get you the booth for free. And we were like, it started, I want to say like six weeks out or something. 
And we said, sure, let's do it. Cause I need a deadline. If you don't know this about me, I, I seriously yep, need a deadline to get true. something done. So we had this deadline. We had this dream on our hearts. I remember we invited Becky over one day for lunch and said, Hey, will you help us put together a PR plan for this? We knew we wanted to call it love. Well, because this whole idea was this brand was going to help inspire kids to like see each other as humans and see each other as people all over the world. And just to love well, regardless of what we all look like. And so we, created this line and launched it like six weeks later. And it really just kind of like took off like mm -hmm. more than we thought to enough to where we're like, you know, most nights cutting out patterns, most nights sewing until two or three in the morning. We got some wholesale accounts, which turned into regional accounts, which turned into getting a call from West Elm to make what turned into a national collaboration with the, the retailer West Elm. So we were on their website for a couple of years and it's just kind of like this crazy series of events, you know, of like our passion and our kids threaded together. And it truly had so many fun, great elements to oh it. Oh my gosh. And I want to give a lens into the McCoys real quickly, because as they're running a retail baby clothing company, John is working full-time 40 hours a week at our healthcare organization. They have newborn baby twins mm -hmm. at home. And he also has a client load of nonprofit clients that he does like marketing and graphic design on the side. So when does John sleep? Very, very little. Um, but I love the Lovewell story so well. I outfitted my children in it Thank for, you for years. That. When I told my fertility story, yes, which ended up on this. the cover of The Oklahoman, which is our big newspaper, my little IVF baby was Rocking wearing her Lovewell, her Lovewell leggings. Um, and it's just a great little slice of your life. Um, and I just love how fearless you guys were in that season. And, and you were so committed to it. And the response response. I always feel like I'm your mother. I, it felt like my heart just grew in the way that people could see your design and could see Candace's vision, like, and people responded so warmly to it. And it's kind of like when I sit back and watch people say incredibly kind things about our company and our design and our marketing. And I'm like, that's John. That's always been in there. It was in there since the day he walked in with his spray mounted business card. <laughs> Okay, we need to we need to do some storytelling here. Okay. But you're gonna do it. Okay. So I want you to take our listeners back to or maybe the early nineteen nineties. <laughs> And I want you to tell them about little Johnny Mac, 10 years old, in his white tuxedo, starting a business to be a magician. The reality is that really was probably my first entrepreneurial effort. Mm -hmm. you, I love that Becky knows this and I didn't even think about this today, but I booked one birthday party <laughs> and I got paid $50 in the 90s. Oh I mean, I feel like that was gosh, a lot of that money. That is a lot of money. Um, my mom did the balloon animals. I did the uh, oh. the magic tricks. And it was just a hoot at the kid's birthday party. I don't know why I liked magic at the time. You know, it's literally part of my story. I got on stage with David Copperfield at a young age, which was also oh, nuts. I wish we had time for that story. We'll put yeah. it in the next the next time we, we visit because that but one it's is just also hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. The dark arts, as I like to call the dark them. Art. It's illusions. It's yeah. not magic, as we've learned from Arrested <laughs> Development. Um, I think one of the things I love about you and Candace so much um, is is just how loyal and unconditional you are to each other. Tell me about Candace. She's awesome. Man, is she ever. I mean, she puts up with all my crazy ideas. I mean, I'm a ridiculous idealist. She isn't pessimistic, but she she's is, pragmatic. She's pragmatic, but she's also fearless in a way that I'm not. And so like the combination of that is really, 
amazing. I mean, because she pushes me to go further. And at the end of the day, I'm like scared out of my mind to take risks, but she, if she is, she hides it really well because she's really comfortable with it. So even like with, with leaving to, to start this, I mean, I could have literally kept putting it off for months and months and months and months of like, this isn't the perfect time. Like we could save more money or we could have more clients booked or something that would make me feel more secure about the next step. And I think I could have kept doing that on because I'm always happy where I'm at. Typically, I feel like that's just my personality. I'm going to find ways to make the most of it, but that could also lead to me being complacent, you know, and she's going to challenge me to say, what is our real vision here? Like, what is John? We haven't talked about our vision. Like, what are we doing with our life? You know, and those, she gives me the wake up regularly to be subscribed to what we're really trying to fight for in life. So. And she's the kindest, like most incredible mother. And I honestly think about her as being one of the most important catalysts to this company, because I I don't know how much our listeners know this story, but I was wholly ready to make the jump to We Are For Good almost about a year before we were ready to go. And I kind of put my stake in the ground on that. And I'm fearless also in that way. I am a risk taker. And it just takes John a little bit longer to warm up to things. And I think that's good because I think we balance each other in that because you hold me back from being reckless (laughs) because it's good to be fearless (laughs) but not reckless. And and I remember a day that, that she said to you, John, now is the time. Like stop giving up on yourself and on your dream. And yeah. she was the one. And the next Standing day right you were like, let's go. And so yeah. thank you, John. Thank you, Candace McCoy, for giving this dream wings and, and giving John that last little tiny nudge to like jump off the precipice and make this leap because it's been the greatest journey of our lives for sure. Totally. And are, in a real practical sense, she makes this house function for us to have a podcast here multiple times a week and everything because we homeschool our kids since the pandemic. So we've got four little ones that are actively reading, exploring. I mean, she makes it happen and makes a really wonderful experience for them. In a 98 year old house um, of which we are (laughs) podcasting in the corner of one of the rooms, which is amazing. Taking a quick pause from today's episode to thank our sponsor who happens to be one of our favorite companies, Virtuous. You know we believe everyone matters, and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level, and Virtuous is the platform to help you do just that. It's so much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous helps charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, and we love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized donor engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. So I'm going to have you tell the story. This is my most favorite story of all time. And every time you tell it, I cannot hold my laughter in because (laughs) here's the thing that I want everyone to know. Things happen to John that are just um, bizarre. And he had a day in his life in college. I would call it Ferris Bueller's day off, (laughs) but it was like a comedy of events that just kept compounding upon each other. The world needs to know the story about what happened to you in Manford, Oklahoma, like in the 2000s. (laughs) Okay. And I am just praying that there's somebody listening that can corroborate this story. Is that the right word? Yes. And this is your levity Because I truly wanted to like go back and like relive this in some way to like find someone that was there. Because I just, I need that confirmation. (laughs) I'm getting so excited. Okay. 
So threading the stories together, the summer that I went overseas to Thailand and ultimately we lived there for a year later, um, we met, I met a lot of friends from Arkansas. So I was spent one weekend or still in college, drove to Arkansas to see my friends and came back. And then in Tulsa on the way back to Stillwater, I know this is too much geography if you don't live in Oklahoma, but there was a distinct path that was either straight line back to Stillwater or literally labeled the, the road less route. traveled, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the scenic route. And I'm an artistic kid, right? I've got my camera sitting in my, you know, passenger seat. I've got the music. I think my hair is still long at this point. Let's be very There's clear. There's no shoes on. No, I have, you have shoes on. <laughs> Probably. And I'm just like looking at the scenery and it's just kind of cool. I remember thinking the clouds are looking kind of ominous today. There's this pond. There's this abandoned truck. I was like, I'm stopping to actually take some photos because this is just a really cool spot. And just outside of Manford, Oklahoma is the place. And so I got out of the car, didn't even turn the car off, grabbed my camera. Um, we did have cell phones at the time. I feel like the cell phones were not advanced. I mean, this isn't pre iPhone days. Yeah. Had my cell phone in my pocket, um, and took a couple pictures and like, you kind of see the storm clouds kind of like looming or whatnot and walk back over to my car and my phone rings. Since my friend, Robert, we know Robert, mm -hmm. I pick it up and I start to talk to him and like my phone dies, like before I even make it back to the car. And get to the car, start to pull the door handle and realize it's locked. It's locked running and my phone is dead and it's about to start storming in Manford, Oklahoma on the scenic route. This is not the end of the I've story. Never this, this story. I've this never is heard this. chapter one. <laughs> this is why I once, I just, Candace can confirm that I called her later to prove this. So I think unless I made it up that night in a dream or something. Okay. So I did what any normal person would do. I started like walking to the nearest house, you know, like trying to find shelter or help. And so this is Manfred, Oklahoma. Literally there's no houses around in the spot that I'm stuck at, but I see a church that's coming up. That's called the Manfred full gospel church. I'm guessing it's still there. 3,200 people in this town. FYI. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I walk up and sure enough, there is two men sitting on the tailgate of a truck at this church so parking Oklahoma. lot. We are not breaking stereotypes like, right so now stereotypical. at all. <laughs> and I walk up and I'm like, hey, this is kind of crazy, but I'm locked out of my car. Da, crazy. Da, da. And they're, I was like, do y'all have any ideas of just like help, you know, or things I could do to get into the car? And they're like, no, but you know, church is about to start. It's Sunday evening. So they have a Sunday evening service, Aww. presumably. He's like, church is about to start. So y'all can, you can ask some people there when they get there, which looking back again, I'm like, where's my resourcefulness? Where's not <laughs> give me the yellow pages. I need a locksmith. You know, I'm trying to guess, get in a different way. But John's an Enneagram nine. He's a peacemaker. peacemaker. He's not going to tell them. No, he's just going to come in if that's what they recommend. I actually have never looked at this through the lens of Enneagram. And this is exactly a nine. This is what happens to nines when you put them in uncomfortable positions. <laughs> they just keep allowing the discomfort to grow. So I go into this church service, feel very comfortable in the church, obviously from growing up and in the back row, kind of trying kind of to mid row ominous. sitting by myself in the pews. It's filling up like it's raining full force outside. So we're just going to have church service. I start meeting some people. We're having delightful little conversations. Cars still, running. Cars still running. <laughs> and they're like, you know, you just have to stay for service. And I was like, sure, I'll stay for service. And again, I don't know what my psyche was because I hadn't even thought like, what's the next step? I'm just like, well, let's just get through service. So we went through service and there's a moment 
on stage oh, we're not when through the service we're yet. singing, they're singing with the hymnals and I don't have the hymnal open. I know the words. So I'm just singing along in the pew and I'm guess I'm an out of towner. So it looks probably unusual that there's this college kid just singing along. The lady at the front that's singing literally points out, it has been so encouraging to see this young man just singing along. <laughs> Would you want to come up and sing a song on stage? I, the peacemaker says what? Of course. <laughs> I would be happy I to. I literally walked up to the stage and they had a little f- binder of songs that they could play on CD, guys. Okay. And I picked out. I sing this song to John all the time. <laughs> I picked out Give Thanks. <laughs> With a grateful heart. Yeah. I literally sang special music in front of this <laughs> church. <laughs> I'm not really known for my singing. I guess I can hold a tune. But it happened. I went and sat down. They prayed for my car during prayer time. (laughs) I stayed the entire service and we were having fellowship afterwards. They broke out cookies and there's punch or whatever's drinks. And someone comes to me and they said, Hey, I just thought of something. I know a retired police officer that helps that does locksmith kind of on the side. And I was like, perfect. Let's call him, you know? And so she called him, she called him and some, some amount of time passes by He pulls up in a pickup truck with his wife sitting in the middle, which I love, right? (laughs) I walk out there. They don't let me get in the truck with them. It's raining. They make me walk and follow the truck to my car, (laughs) which is not that far away, but I'm standing there drenched in the rain. He gets out his tools. He is in the car within seconds. And I said, sir, thank you so much. How do I repay you? And he said, well, that'd be 50 bucks. And I said, I am so sorry. I don't know that I have 50 bucks. And I'm like digging through my pockets. I literally had $13, $13 crumpled up in cash. And he said, I'll I'll take take it. it. (laughs) (laughs) And he took every bit of cash that I had. The car is still running. The car is still running. I get in the car, plug in my phone and call my now wife and be like, you will never believe what just (laughs) happened. (laughs) Now it's hard to follow the Manford story, but we're going to get into the rapid fire questions. Oh, I love this. Okay. And I'm also going to share a couple of things that I think people need to know about Jonathan McCoy. Um, these are observations I've made over the years, and they give just a little glimpse into your personality. So would you like to go with Becky's observations or the rapid fire questions? I'm a peacemaker. Whatever you want. Okay. Whatever's going to okay. make you feel We're better. We're going to do rapid fire because that's going to get you warmed okay. up. Favorite road trip snack? Oh my gosh, yes. Peanut butter filled pretzels from Trader Joe's. We call them pretzel poppers at our house. Okay. Favorite- and you keep them cold. We keep them in the freezer. Guys, try this. Buy a bag, $2, put it in the freezer. It'll change your life. Julie, that was a really good point. Thank you for adding that in. <laughs> it's life-changing. <laughs> Even my girls are like, I want them cold. <laughs> okay. I want to know your favorite charity, if you had to mm. pick one. I mean, it has to be Water 4. I've loved yeah. them for many years. And then this last year, we've gotten to work with them closer and gotten to know the leadership team, the visionaries behind it. Um, it is absolutely an organization that's changing the world with the best most beautiful hearts of people serving it and literally out to put themselves out of business because yeah. they want to solve the water crisis. Yeah. Yeah. We adore such them humility well. in it too. Okay. Who inspires you? I mean, this season of life has been, it's a different person all the time because we get to meet so many incredible people. Dr. Tyrone Freeman would be my choice for today. Oh, if you have not listened to the episode of Madam CJ Walker, please yeah. go back. We will link that in the show notes because it is one of the most impactful I think interviews that we've had yet. Great. Just life well lived on his part, you know? Okay. What's worse. I have three options for (laughs) you right here. 
People who use Kleenex to wipe up wet spots. Oh, gosh. That's my worst nightmare. Oh, just wait. I have a couple more for you. <laughs> when I talk about eating a meat product <laughs> or when people use the Comic Sam's typeface. <laughs> or yeah. desserts with fruit in them. Oh, that's another good one. Which one is worse for you? Um, certainly the wet Kleenex. I just can't do the wet Kleenex. <laughs> you are so predictable. <laughs> I actually thought you were going to say it's that making one. making my skin crawl just talking about it. <laughs> okay. This is your last rapid fire. What's something that you've learned from one of your children? I mean, I learned this from each of them to like be present and they're getting older enough now that they will like call you out on it when you're not being present, which is really good. But it's the small moments when you stop and listen to their sweet little hearts and really listen to what they're saying that it's where the magic happens. You know, oh, I love that. That is very yeah. true. Um, I love it when my kids call me out on being on my phone, they're like, get yeah. off. And it's like, okay, <laughs> thank you for that reality check. Okay. So here's a couple things I want people to know about John that I have learned over the years. They're very, very simple things. This is so awkward. John is a social carnivore. John and his wife are vegetarians, but John really loves Chick-fil-A. And so he is not (laughs) going to give up meat because he loves Chick-fil-A. Okay. We've already mentioned this once. He positively loves Apple, rarely misses a keynote, and you are not allowed to insult Steve Jobs in his presence, (laughs) which I've made the mistake of. We um, told him for the first time last week, neither of us had watched a keynote for Apple ever, and the look it's on amazing face we're still friends. I'm honestly baffled that no, not everybody would watch their keynotes. You were so disappointed <laughs> in us. Um, he loves eating rice cakes with almond butter for breakfast. Truth. He wears a black t-shirt every single day. He's in it right now. Richard Poratees. Look uh, him up. <laughs> he was a barista in college and he takes his co- coffee very seriously. What's your favorite coffee, John? Um, today, I think this is my new favorite. It's an iced quad espresso, just black, just the shots of espresso and ice, the purity of that. He is hardcore. Yeah, he is. <laughs> um, something that I think is amazing, um, especially when you think about John having two sets of twins, is his house is nearly always immaculate. <laughs> when we come in, he has a love of mid-century modern furniture, and the house is as beautiful as an aesthetic and a... Um, it's straight out of West Elm. It's catalog. totally out of West Elm. And he always has a candle going in another room, which makes <laughs> Julia and I incredibly terrified every time we come in because one time we were podcasting and one like exploded. I'm or looking something. at one right now, just unattended, just sitting waiting right for there. It to pop. Thank you. But just know that we have social awareness. So we vacuum before people come over to our house. <laughs> Isn't that what people do? Okay. And the other thing, I don't think I need to say this because people know it, but. John is the kindest person you're ever going to know. And what you are hearing um, him say today and every single time he um, speaks on the podcast, the way that he shows up on social or if we're training, he is the kindest version of the best human being that your mom always wishes that you would be friends with. And so I, I think I have gotten a couple times, you know, questions about is, is, is that real? Is John that authentic? Is he that kind? He really is. And when you have someone in that role at the very top of your company, can you even imagine what can flow down from that? And I feel like we are, especially Julie and I, we are just watching what you are and who you are and the way you show up, get threaded in every part of our business. And it is 
so life-giving and it is the greatest joy of my life to be able to do this alongside you. You are one of my friends, most precious human being in my life. I love you. I love your family. I just think that what we're doing together is incredible. And I just want people to know what you see of Jonathan Paul McCoy is really the real Jonathan Paul McCoy. So call him chief or CEO and he'll get really uncomfortable. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do any sort of corporate anything and John will get, will get a little tick. So oh, we got to wind this down and We've just had Dan Pallotta on this week, mm -hmm. and I think we've had so much feedback from the community about how that's really inspired them to dream. And one of my final questions for you is, what is your ultimate dream for this company? I mean, first, thank you, Becky, for saying that. I get a chance to speak into you next week Ugh. on the podcast, which will be fun. <laughs> Bring um, it. <laughs> I'll say, you know, Dan's talk really did like strike a really deep chord in us. And we got to talk to Vic Harrison the same week, both of them together were just like dream bigger, you know? And I do think that I'm so thankful for this phase of life because as crazy as some of our dreams sound, I really think we look at each other a lot of days back here in this random small room in this 98 year old house thinking, no, we're really going to go change the world with this. And not from an ego maniacal standpoint because we're so great, but because this community and is and is going to be lifted, and we want to serve and show up in a really deep way. So that's really my vision and heart for this: is that we would get to come in and empower and teach and train and equip leaders throughout the world to be able to lift and rally their causes. And so it's hard to even pick a cause because I really, we talk and it's, we always say the enthusiasm is real. It's like, how do you pick a charity when you start piling on all the important topics? And the way is you can't, like, you got to figure out what you're passionate about. And we are really intent on lifting the sails of all and having this, you know, beacon of hope and of transformation of how to actually do the things and how to actually create a movement and we do think we can change the world by creating that space. And so we're just so here for it. We call it the impact uprising. And that's what I think about. And I think even that is probably not even as big as what I want this really to be someday. I mean, we are looking at the very, very tip of the iceberg because what is underneath it mm -hmm. is going to be the thing that changes the world. And the thing to me that's lifting the iceberg is the community. It's mm -hmm the people who are listening, it's the people who are pouring in and, and, and almost just stepping up and saying, I'm the one that wants to do business differently. Yeah. The way I want to treat people has got to be threaded, um, in my job and in my passion. And I just think that you have lived that your whole life. And so I love that you're infusing that into this company. And I thank you for making me more curious, making me dream bigger because the iterations of we are for good have gone on a very long journey over the many yeah. years. I mean, we had talked about being an employee giving campaign uh, consultancy at one point. I mean, we've taken, I still remember the day you came in and said, let's do a podcast. And I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> and of course you were right. You always are. Well, I mean, I want to say something on that too, is that this community really is like everything. Like we say that. And last night, Becky and I were both up. It was past four in the morning and I got a notification, which I totally need to turn off because that's part of my probably uh, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel syndrome. But we got this notification that someone had reposted the Dan Pallotta talk. And as I like dove in and started this conversation on Instagram, he's in Rome. You know, he Aww. is literally on the other side of the planet and that is the power of this. And again, it's not about us. It's not even about Dan, 
but it's about we're leaning in and helping each other, you know, and we're going to impact people we're never going to see. And that's what's true at all of our nonprofits, but that's what makes this all work. I mean, so please reach out to us. I mean, we're just people like, and we will love to connect with you. (laughs) Okay. Final question. What's your one good thing? Are you surprised by that one? I am. I feel unprepared for it, but I, you know, Becky loves the story and I love the practical. So I'm going to give you a piece of practical advice that I think is true. It's one of our core values is play the long game. And that's the one that has always kind of resonated deeply with me. There's things in my life that I've done that well on, and there's things in my life that I've completely messed that up on, you know, but I think when you're really bought into something and you're playing the long game, it allows you to be consistent. And I think whatever it is that you want to change impact move in your life, if you're just consistent, like anything is possible, it's probably not going to happen in a day and we're not going to get to reach our goals in a day, but being consistent and playing the long game, I a hundred percent believe we're going to. And I, I think too. you can too. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I mean, as, as history would show where John goes, I'm going to follow. We kind of flamed <laughs> our roles completely. Anywhere you go. Oh, I'm so glad we got a song. I, I really wanted you. you to end with that, it. Give Love with a Grateful Heart. It yes, took us five minutes one. to get going on this recording because John was having a little concert for us. That's <laughs> usually how it goes. 90s pop. I mean, when you put me in headphones in front of this giant microphone happens. and we're trying to get started, I'm going to sing. I'm just, I, <laughs> I'm proud of you. One, you made it through this interview. I am proud of you for talking about Thank yourself you. for as long as you did this has got to be a world record. And I just love this concept that you are the least likely to be a troublemaker in this life, yet you are the rebel and the disruptor that is showing up so ironically in this sector. And you are the one that's going to change the world. And it is an honor to be on this journey with you. I know I speak for Julie when we say the same thing. And I just love you dearly. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to our coffee talk with our favorite CEO, John. We hope you enjoyed peeking behind the curtain and learning more about him. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. It's our own social network and you can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing. If you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comper, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Boardsboom. Thanks for being here. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.